This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. so important. Even in those few snippets, those tiny, tiny three verses out of this great big book, out of all the holy scriptures that have been written and meditated on and, uh, and, and shared culture to culture, these three little verses that pack so much in, that there were 12 of them, cued every Judean hearer to know that we're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. We're talking about the whole of Israel that God is again reaching out to. When they hear about the Holy Spirit, they know that they're talking about something new. It's not just the regular baptism where you used to just dip and be clean before the Lord, which is sacred and holy in its own way, right? It does, we don't have to do, say that something that came before is bad just because we're gonna do something new next, right? We have to be careful of that. We do that a lot. I do that a lot. So they're doing, so it's not just being dipped. There's something that happens. Something is happening, flowing through the hands of the baptizer, flowing through the heart of the community, flowing from God, this thing called the Holy Spirit. And it says that when Paul heard that they had received baptism, they'd been rewashed, ready to come again to Christ, but they had not received the Holy Spirit, it says that Paul laid hands on them. This is one of my favorite baptismal scriptures. And when I think about, you know, when we do this in church, we're really gentle, right? I always tell people, very gently touch, because we don't want to freak anybody out like, oh no, right? Very gently touch. But in this scripture, I can imagine Paul laying hands on these folks, dunking them in the water. You are oil. Actually, I don't even sure there was water here. I think it was just a Holy Spirit baptism, grabbing a hold of them and letting the Holy Spirit flow in and fill them. We're used to this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit because our prophets in our stories, they'll talk about being filled for some particular task. But as Christians, we understand this goes even deeper for us, even deeper for the faith as revealed to our particular group and understanding. Right? We all have context. We speak different languages. We needn't measure who is better or who is worse, but to understand that if I play the piano or I play the violin, I play an instrument that is worthy and good. And it is worth mastering that instrument, even as I love and appreciate those who master other instruments. As a Christian, I play the violin. Stand in for Obviously, you can play a different instrument. But think about if I only play it halfway, if I don't lean into this idea that somewhere in those notes is the Holy Spirit, that I am laying hands here in the name of God, that I understand the tradition of power that flows through us as believers and the church as a whole, that we live in the check and the balance of that, listening to our neighbor, listening to our brother and sister in Christ, knowing that we aren't going off the rails, so to speak, right? We all hear the stories. Was it the Blues Brothers? We're on a mission from God. 
yeah. So that's an example of when you should check with your fellow neighbor. Like, does this, does this seem like a mission of God for you? But there's no doubt that that power and that energy, sometimes we step out because we are afraid. Maybe this isn't really it. Maybe I'm not really going to be good at that. Maybe that note that just made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Maybe I'm just imagining things. And having the courage to be in fellowship with one another as we have those conversations, as we share what it feels like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled and refilled. So today is Pentecost. Today is the anniversary of that first new filling. God had already formed a people by the understanding of this story. The Israelites had been formed as God's children and God's people. This was a reforming. Not a reforming saying that one was bad and the other is good. But a recognition that times had changed. Things had changed. Peoples had changed. Language had changed. It used to be that all of the folks identified as Hebrew sort of all lived in the same place. They had kings. They had judges. But what happened was empire after empire came, and they were scattered into all these other places. They spoke different languages. They had different social traditions. They were raised sometimes as slaves in households that were not following any kind of Torah or law. And they learned different ways. And there's this big struggle here as if they are still children of God, if God still loves them deeply. And how that could be. Ezekiel, he wrestles with this generations before when the people are taken out to Babylon in exile. And the people believe that so far from their temple and so far from their mountain and so far from their God that they are lost and bereft. And Ezekiel looks out upon the world and he sees the celestial beings, some of the weirdest visions in the Bible, right up there with the weird ones in Revelation. He doesn't know how to describe it to make it less weird, or he would have. But there it is, the celestial beings were at work. That indeed we were not alone as people spread out into the diaspora my brothers and sisters from long ago who were exiled against their will, God still reached for them. God still claimed them. Every generation there's this tension about who is loved by God and who is not. And every time if we pay attention to these stories, what we see is that God is reaching out. Every single time. And Pentecost is not a difference in that. These were Christ believers. These were folks who followed Jesus, who was the Christ, who saw in him a way of being and loving and caring for each other that could truly bring salvation in the kingdom of God. Imagine if we all cared for our neighbor, just that one tiny thing. But Christ was arrested and crucified. They looked abandoned to the world as if there wasn't anything, no one to love them. But on Pentecost of all days, Pentecost, the day of the festival of weeks, of the first fruits, the day that is celebrated as the day of the giving of Torah, 
where Moses had gone up onto the mountain. Moses said to God, I, if I come now to the Israelites and, and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, what's this God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? This conversation happened years and years and years before Pentecost. Like, they're not going to believe me, Lord. Who am I, some bearded guy walking around the desert with a snake for a staff? What makes me legitimate? What, what makes this real? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. On the day of Pentecost, the day that the Judeans celebrated the giving of Torah, a way of life, a way of being, a way of understanding how to care for each other. On that day, God gave the Spirit to the believers gathered in Pentecost, gathered at the circle, gathered praying for a sign that they were not orphaned or abandoned. The Holy Spirit sweeps in. I am that I am. And the wonders that followed were to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to stand in the Spirit of God, to know that you are not alone, to be able to speak in the marketplace, a rather terrifying place to speak, to be able to speak in the languages of those whose language you didn't know, but who were part of the great, great outpouring of the children of God. This was the first real outreach. From turning inward in prayer, they turned outward and with such joy and enthusiasm and in some celestial languages as well that they indeed did look full of new wine. And for those who would close their eyes and plug their ears, who would not see, that did not deter the ones who could see. That it's Pentecost, God reforming people in a new way for a new time, not against the old, but in complement, in the richness of a new thing, adding beauty to the world, adding instruments to the orchestra. As Jesus said, nothing of the old will be taken away. The law stands fulfilled in its entirety. We have to remember, we are not knocking anything over. We are building in a new way. So, what does all that have to do with marshmallows? Right? Two things came to me as I was preparing this sermon, Pentecost and marshmallows. And I fought it at first because I want to talk, I want this whole season where we're talking about forming, reforming, what it means to create a team, things like that, things that the first churches grappled with. Because there wasn't just one first church. There were thousands of first churches. So, 
All right, so marshmallows. I have this friend. She's a pastor in Oregon, Idaho. She's like me. She's, a, she's appointed from Pacific Northwest into Oregon, Idaho. And she has something she calls the glitter test. She'll come into a congregation, and she'll do children's ministry with children, actual children, real children. And children make a mess. Anybody notice that? And that good children's activities are messy. Anyone else notice that part? And so she'll do a real activity with the children. And usually there's a lot of glitter left over. And she calls this the glitter test to see how the congregation is going to respond to glitter. Right? Next, let's do a slide. So I came across this as I was wrestling. I can't put marshmallows and Pentecost together. Are you kidding me? That doesn't work. And then the Lord threw this on my Facebook feed. And I thought, yes, actually I can. Totally works. So here we are. We form ourselves into certain practices and certain ways of doing things. And then some kindergartner shows up. And how annoying is that? And there's this TED Talk by Tom Wujek. And he talks about what's called the marshmallow test. It's not quite the glitter test, different thing entirely. But it was developed by a guy named Peter Skillman. And what, what happens is in the marshmallow test, they go to different groups and organizations, and you get 20 sticks of spaghetti, a yard of tape, and a yard of string, and a marshmallow. And you have to build a tower in 18 minutes. And the marshmallow has to be on top. And then it's all about whose tower gets tallest. And people work in groups. The, they suggest groups of four. But it's a way of recognizing teams, how teams work, breaking out a little bit into forming and reforming. And the marshmallow challenge, next, next slide. So you can see these, these different parts. And so there's a whole website dedicated to this. And the average height, next slide, the average height is 20 inches. So that's your average. And business school students, you can see, they don't do so well against the average. Lawyers, not so well. CEOs, hmm, they're, they're, goodness, they're, they're, they're getting there. Guess which group outperforms all these guys? Next slide. Kindergartners. <laughs> ah, sorry, I love this. Okay, so, yes, kindergartners. Apparently, they produce some of the stallest structures and also some of the most interesting structures. Next slide. So what's up with these little cheeky geniuses? That's what I want to know. So they start, so one of the things that kindergartners do different is they start with a marshmallow. Instead of sitting around planning and arguing about who's going to be in charge and how things are going to go and all the rest, um, they start with a marshmallow and they do what Peter Skillman calls prototyping. I would call it adaptiveness. They are adaptive. They make prototype after prototype after prototype in their 18 minutes and they learn as they go continually trying something new, continually trying to see what's going to work here, right? They learn the problem as they go too, right? This is play for them. 
they figure out how much, you know, gosh, one piece of spaghetti. Okay, there goes the glitter test right there. It's going to break a lot more easily than three. Right? They figure these things out. They're quick. They're smart. They're cheeky. They're annoying. But look what they do. So the early church was just full of this kind of prototyping. People were trying new things. Now, when, when a regular person in a regular organization comes to the Marshmallow Challenge, they do that pretty flatly, thinking about their organization. We, as Christians, get to take another, we get to take another stab at it. When we, put, when we sit together and we do things like that, we get to ask this extra question, where is Christ in this? What am I learning that God is leading me through? Because God isn't building these. We are, right? I mean, is it possible that God would snap God's fingers and suddenly the tallest tower, a 48-inch tower, would show up? Can God move a rock too big for God to move? Right? The point is that we are participants, that we are called to participate in what God is doing. So when I want to I invite us in our groups and teams over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about forming, reforming teams, things like that, over the next number of weeks. I want to invite you to spend one of your meetings for 18 minutes and do the marshmallow test. And think about it as you do it, not just... How many strands of spaghetti? You know, it's only 20. 21, disqualified, sorry. But where is Christ in this? Where is Christ in the business of forming and reforming churches and church communities? Where is Christ in the anger that starts to well up in your gut that the person who's helping you on this team is a real jerk? Truly annoying, not okay, right? Where is Christ in the thought of, you know, we can do this together. Where's your inner kindergartner? Where are you willing to prototype? Where are you not? I will guarantee you we will discover our strengths in this, that some people are going to have the gift of stability, and they're going to be more nervous around prototyping, and there are going to be some people who are just so good at prototyping that there's never any stability, and it's completely obnoxious, right? And the challenge of, can we bring those things together on the same team as God did at Pentecost? Forming us together, using the richness of each other's gifts in order to do something even more than we ever imagined. Right? We're... I invite us to learn about how teamwork looks with the gaze of God. Regular kinds of exercises that we're going to bring Christ to. The Holy Spirit from within us. So, that's my challenge. The marshmallow challenge. If, as a parent, any of your children want to have a marshmallow, that's on you. We can even vote to hide them right now and say, I don't know, the Holy Spirit came and whooshed them all away. They're going to be probably too smart for that, though. I'm just going to warn you, these cheeky little guys. Next slide. 
and the little children shall lead us, right? Let your inner child play. We will bring that play here as we try to understand what God is calling the new church into. What, where are we being filled with the Holy Spirit for the work of the languages today all around us that all people may know that they are loved and God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just reflect for just a minute.